We will employ an exciting, fast, explosive, and diverse offense combined with a physical, punishing, relentless, suffocating defense. Purdy rolls right, looking to throw. Benito gives chase, comes back left. Purdy still looking, sets up, balls loose, rolling around in Iowa State territory. Redmond picked it up. Redmond on the run. Redmond scores. Oh, mama. Alright guys, welcome to the Oklahoma Breakdown Podcast, brought to you guys by SB Nation's Crimson and Cream Machine. I'm your host this evening, Kami Amrabi, and as you guys can see, I'm joined with Jack Shield. Jack, how are you doing today? Doing wonderful. Uh, I can't take my mind off of uh, Chet Holmgren right now. Uh, like the rest of the state, our, our name on Twitter is Chet Holmgren Machine right now, so... Not sure if we can have any uniformity on the uh, podcast here. Is this the Chet Holmgren Machine podcast? You know, I I got a lot of things done today a little bit early so I could watch the OKC Summer League game at 5 o'clock just to see Chet, and he wasn't playing because he's going to be playing in Las Vegas too. Giddy made uh, up for it. Gosh, yeah, Giddy, Giddy played well. They Giddy's lost the game five today. Months old. He's five months younger than Chet is. Did you know that? That's wild. That's crazy. That's stupid. Uh, and we got Stephen Brown. Stephen, how is life? How are you? It's good. It's it is hot as hell outside. I'm like sweating here in this in this bedroom, just in this podcast. You know, and I don't know how. Like, and tell me, especially people in the comments too, um, and people watching along. I heard of a saying just the other day, and I want to know if you guys have heard this too. So let's say, you know, it's 100 degrees outside, right? But we've been occasionally getting these, like, these storms and rain. Do you guys know what it's called when it's raining outside, when it's hot as hell? Do you know what people call that? Uh, no idea. Apparently, there's a phrase for it, and it's in, it's, they say the devil is, like, beating his wife, like, <laughs> I just heard that the other day, and that has to be the most southern thing in the world. That does seem like like an Oklahoma or like a southern thing. This is the first time hearing it. No, no, yeah, same. I was like, wait, no, there's not. That's not real. It's real, but dude, Who's the devil's wife. I I don't know. That's a great question, but you know, I I'm, I don't know if it was okay. I have no idea. I have no it's a idea. Slope. Yeah, it is. It certainly certainly is. But we have a lot to get to today. Oklahoma just had two commitments. Uh, there are there's more to come tomorrow and the following day. There's more to come any any moment now. Nobody's necessarily sure about when these guys are making their announcements. Um, and then we we're gonna we have some alignment talk. We have Big Twelve talk and just some bold predictions and a little bit more trivia so we've got a lot of stuff going on let's start off with recruiting uh steven i'm coming to you uh phil picciotti he was a three-star earned his fourth star and is from pennsylvania going to img academy what is oklahoma getting in a guy like picciotti well, Oklahoma already has a linebacker committed um with picciotti they get a true inside guy so Picciotti stands about 6'3", 6'4". Um, definitely going to play middle linebacker, that Sam or the Mike, or, or not the Sam and the Mike, just the Mike for that one. So um, he's kind of a throwback almost, a hard hitter, downhill guy. Um, 
there are some questions about his lateral ability here or there, but um, against the run, you can't ask for a better prospect. Yeah, that was one of the things that I noticed when I was looking at his film on Huddle. He hits the gaps, like he shoots gaps pretty hard. Of course, there's some inconsistency there. Sometimes he lets the play come to him, which leads to a lot of linebackers, especially younger ones, getting run over or getting those couple extra yards because you're expecting the runner instead of going downhill. But that's one of the things that I noticed, really physical. Uh, Jack, what does a physical linebacker mean for this defense? Especially well, a physical I mean, inside it, it, linebacker. OU getting back to its, you know, early 2000s roots, essentially. You know, big, giant linebackers who maybe sacrificed a little bit of speed at Mike, but uh, there was no question about their physicality or their size or their toughness or anything like that. It's It's been a little inconsistent at Mike uh, over the past, you know, 10 or 12 years for quite a while, you know, since, you know, mm. Brent Venables left town, essentially. So you're very quickly seeing this defense kind of getting back to what worked for them uh, in the previous decade and uh, or the decade before the previous decade. But uh, anyway, yeah, it's uh, kind of a sight for sore eyes, frankly. I'm not comparing Picciotti to either of these two players. I want to make that clear. Um, how would Teddy Lehman or Rocky Kalmus fare in today's defenses in the ways in which they have to have, they have several more responsibilities today than they did when Lehman and Kalmus were playing. Do you guys still think they are all-star Buckus award winners or are they just really, really good? Uh, or would they maybe play a different position? I, that's kind of like an interesting question to ask because their duties are different. Their bodies are shaped different. Teddy ran a legit 4-4. He was a track out. guy. He, they would have figured it out with him. Uh, Rocky, you, I'm not, I'm frankly not sure on Rocky. He was, he's one of my all-time favorites at OU. Um, but, uh, you know, from my childhood. But, yeah, I, I feel like, I mean, he, he would still be a linebacker. But, I mean, he would, you know, and he was, you know, pretty much a, I mean, I guess Torrance Marshall was the Mike whenever he was in 2000. So, anyway. Yeah, he, you know, he, you wouldn't be changing positions with him, obviously. Teddy, I mean, Teddy would have a shot at safety, I think, though, in the uh, current game. I mean, you could have easily put him there. He kind of, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, he could have been kind of a hybrid safety linebacker, you know, in today's game, I think. And he, frankly, he could have been back then, too, but uh, with that speed. But yeah, I think it would have translated easily for Teddy Lehman. I think Travis Lewis, uh, not Travis Lewis, oh, Lewis Baker. Uh, he was the guy oh, that yeah. went from like linebacker to safety back down. Uh, he he could have played that role, obviously, oh, so yeah. successful because he knew both both duties and he had to change his body so much to start from go starting at linebacker to going to safety. Stephen, what do you think? Do you think like these older school linebackers from the early Stoops <clears throat> era, specifically like Rocky Kalmus and of course Teddy Lehman? He is a track guy, super fast. Uh, would translate to the modern day game. Yeah, I don't, I don't think the game has changed too much, um, especially now with the Big 12. Everyone's kind of going back to power run. Um, they're still going to spread it out, obviously, but um, a lot more teams are run-oriented, OSU, Baylor, um, those guys that were in the Big 12 championships. So um, those top-tier teams in the Big 12, they would have been very effective against those offenses. I agree. I agree. And so that's Phil Picciotti going to IMG. I was just – 
just going down memory lane, thinking about what else could happen. Oklahoma also secures the commitment yesterday of Jaquez Petaway from Houston, a top eight player in Texas, the number eight overall wide receiver, and the and the number forty seven player overall nationally. Uh, so. And it was a Red River shootout, Red River rivalry, whatever you want to call it, battle for Petaway and his services. Uh, the guy is a burner. He is very, very, very explosive. And he could be used pretty much, in my opinion, right away, even just to stretch the field for the Sooners, strictly because they don't really even have that guy. They don't have that guy with that amount of speed. And he's a guy that Oklahoma could probably promise early playing time to. Uh, Steven, do you agree with that or, or am I off base here? Yeah, no, I think he fits right away. He's a day one guy with a speed. Um, he's not slight of build. He's five eleven, but a uh, pretty sturdy guy. So I think, uh, pretty sure Keegan Renault, our, our good friend, uh, Keegan brought up this comp Jalen Waddle, um, mm. from Bama. So That'd I see a lot of similarities there. Speed, um, build able to get downfield, able to make plays out of the short, short routes. So. I think it's absolute steal for Oklahoma. Yeah, he's physical after the catch and is able to elude his defense. His first, at least his first defender, uh, Jack. What were you saying? Yeah, I mean, he's someone who, at the very least, he's going to make an immediate impact on special teams with mm-hmm. that speed. He uh, now that OU is uh, going back to returning kicks, unlike they were last year. But uh, any, <laughs> never mind. But anyway, um, they, uh, you know, he needs to polish up a few things. His route running is still needs a bit of work. He needs a little bit of work. Come here, or you pointed this out uh, yesterday, but, uh, you know, he still catches the ball with his body at this mm-hmm. point. That's something he's got to change, but that's, that's, that's a fairly easy fix. So anyway, yeah, immediate impact taking the top off the defense and, uh, you know, at the very least, you know, someone who can make a major impact returning kicks and punts. Yeah, I totally agree. And so, those are guys Oklahoma just secured. Uh, they they went from having like what seven commits just this time last week, and now they're up to ten. Um, Oklahoma's not done. Over the next two days, you've got guys that the Sooners feel really really confident in Caden Green, in which we've talked your ear off plenty about Caden Green, high caliber uh, offensive tackle out of Missouri. Really 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 good guy can come in and compete and really do well in Bill Beatabo's system. Uh, he's committing tomorrow. And then on Saturday, you also have Logan Howland, who a guy that hasn't been talked out about this much. He is a three-star prospect out of New Jersey. He's committing Saturday. Steven, if I'm looking at Logan Howland, because I've seen his film too, but if I'm looking at him, what am I getting from him? Well, first and foremost, you're getting a guy that, that moves extremely well for his size. Um, Obviously, he plays both sides of the ball. Um, probably a little bit more of a tight end build right now, but he'll shift inside to a tackle or maybe a guard. But um, a guy that can move incredibly well, very fast. Um, needs to work on his power a little bit. But um, as far as projects go, there's a lot worse. And I think Logan Allen, you give him two, three years um, with Schmitty, he's going to fill out and be uh, you know, a guy that could probably be your left tackle. Okay, I said this, and I think I said this to you guys, or I put it, I put it somewhere else. I put it in writing somewhere. <laughs> Logan Howland remind gives me some serious Brody Eldridge vibes because the guy is athletic, as as big as he is, six foot seven, two seventy ish. 
270, almost 280 ish, I think. I think it's like 276 or something around there. And all of the highlights on a subtle film are him outrunning a lot of the defenders, catching the ball, like, and he's not catching it with his body, he's reaching out with his hands. Um, make you having some playing just on the ball skills, a lot of blocking people again with younger guys, there's pad leverage and there's things like that. And like his strength, like you alluded to. So he's just going to be blocking a ton of tight ends instead of guys that were actually on the, on the offensive, on the defensive line uh, from that perspective. And then you just look at him when he's on the defensive line, uh, whether he's lining up at tackle or defensive end, Howland has an extremely high motor, still plays pretty high. That's pretty normal for guys, especially around his rating, but that's nothing that can't be coached. That's nothing that can't be altered by Schmidt, like you just alluded to. And Jack, with a guy that is that athletic, because it just like looking at his film jumps off the page at you, how, how athletic he was. I was not expecting to see an offensive tackle's huddle highlights for the first three minutes be him boat racing the defense and making catches over linebackers. So one thing that immediately comes to mind here, think back through the Stoops era and the time that Jerry Schmidt was an OU previously. Think of all of the guys who came in, either came in as a tight end or had a tight end body, who Jerry Schmidt molded into not a good offensive lineman, but a great offensive lineman. Let's think about this. We've got Gabe Eichard, mm-hmm. for one, came in as a tight end for Bishop McGinnis. You've got Chris Chester, who's a tight end at OU, and ended up playing uh, in the offensive line uh, in yep. the NFL for about a decade. You've got Lane Johnson, who came to OU as a tight end, who ended – I mean, he's an all-pro def- uh, offensive tackle. And then you've got uh, Brody Eldridge, like you mentioned. Gosh, I mean, Eldridge played like yeah. four different positions. It was yeah. like fullback, yeah. tight end, center, guard. He, he played offensive line at OU for one year. I love that. I mean, he, but and he, you know, made an NFL roster. Only so hell, which which Schmitty track record here? Which was Schmitty with with the discipline and all the other things and the in the in the physicality and that stuff that he coaches. Like you see Orlando Brown in his freshman year. Of course, he makes freshman mistakes, but gosh, like just the way these guys are built and the way these guys are, are I guess, I don't want to say forced to play, but coached up to play, it's totally different from what kind of, I guess, what kind of avenues and philosophy that the old regime had because guys were not getting much better it would do do you agree with that statement guys were not getting much better year after year unless they were like stars i mean are you are you talking about you know under benny wiley yes within the re- yeah oh, okay, all the yeah. offensive line absolutely yeah like you unless they were absolute before, stars yeah. they weren't getting better right they're you almost getting worse guys, i mean you saw guys getting worse along the offensive line over the past two years i mean think of the 2019 offensive line a lot of those guys were suiting up for OU this past season, and the offensive line was worse. Explain that. Other than, you know, coaching and Benny Wiley. Mostly Benny Wiley, because you don't think Bill Biedenboe is the issue there. So, 
Oh yeah, like you you talk to anybody. Uh, I I talked even even heck even the podcast I did with Matt from the United Kingdom to previewing OU football. He even knew about Bill Beatembo, and I was like, okay, come on, man, <laughs> like like you. This is not on Bill Beatembo. Uh, there's there's there are other issues that I think many are well aware of, and it's well documented. Uh, other recruits that are pretty soon, of course, we mentioned Caden Green is committing tomorrow. Logan Howland is committing on Saturday. Uh, both those guys are super heavy sooner leans that are feel very comfortable with Norman uh, next week soon or, you know, soon after that. Definitely in the month of July because this is the month for Oklahoma. Of course, we've talked about Dalen Smothers. He's already set a date, uh, the 14th, I believe. You have Edge. PJ Adabare, who's again, we talked his he talked we talked his head off last week about how awesome he can be at 6'4, but a seven-foot wingspan, still a little bit new foot of football, but elite skills of what you've seen, just a little bit raw. Steven, tell me about other guys at Oklahoma, maybe they haven't been talked about as much. Like I know Peyton Kirkland was a deal for a while, but Miami right. also just secured the top offensive tackle. And then you have other fringe players that aren't being mentioned right now either. And I think this class is going to be relatively full. Yeah. One, one in particular that Oklahoma is probably not going to win out, but they've been in the conversation for, and they, they deserve credit for being in the conversation for is Troy ball or bowels um, out of Florida, the outside linebacker um, top 50 player in the nation, uh, likely probably going to Georgia. Um, Oklahoma's, you know, up there with Ohio state as far as playing second place, but uh, Brent Venables being in on that type of prospect this early, uh, it's not really even talked about, um, is, should give him a lot of credit for where he's pushed this defensive recruiting. Um, another guy that, you know, if, if Bowles goes somewhere else, Tassilia Kana, who um, is the outside linebacker, I think it's Nevada, um, has a lot of connections with the Aloe family, um, mm. likes, likes Brent Venables, uh, obviously Dylan Gabriel being from Hawaii and him being Polynesian has, has some, you know, connection there a little bit. So we'll see where Oklahoma lands with him. Um, I don't think he's anywhere near a decision, but they're in, they're turning in the right direction for him. And then uh, Anthony Evans would be the wide receiver out of Texas speedster guy that would go along with a pet away, give him like kind of one, two punch on the outside. Gosh, man, I, I, I just can't understate again, how well, Petaway fits Jeff Levy's offense and what he wants to do. And especially if he gets an extra, because Dylan Gabriel, the man has like three years left of eligibility if he wanted. Man, the things that they could do together with a good offensive line could be really special. And of course, until Jackson Arnold is there, who is, of course, their five star quarterback. So speaking to that, man, Oklahoma's recruiting was dead in June. And then they go out and sign roughly what four guys within a week and a half. They're very likely to sign two more guys within the next two days. And then maybe four to five more guys within the next two and a half weeks. The does so you mean Oklahoma recruiting isn't dead and that football <laughs> will indeed be played in Norman Jack. Is that correct? Is that what I'm hearing? It would appear so. And I mean, a few days ago, this, program was i mean people were jumping the gun way too much on recruiting rankings i mean OU was outside the top 40 and 24 7 composite uh, by the end of the month they're probably going to be sniffing the top 15 
Like maybe even better than that, honestly, just with the a the numbers that they're bringing in, and uh, b just the uh, you know average quality of star. Like I mean, it's just uh, it's not just quantity; it's quality here. So more often than not, you're seeing you know with this most recent wave, you're seeing more of the blue chip guys roll in, some of the high four star guys roll in, as opposed to the three star guys with potential. You're seeing more, uh, you know, just more high profile recruiting. Uh, you know, profiles with these guys. So uh, anyway, that's immediately shooting up OU stock and something that can build momentum for the fall as far as this class is concerned. Like, I, like I've said, and I said this with Steven too, Oklahoma recruiting now is back to the Hank Hill way of selling propane and propane accessories. He is going to he is going to educate you on the program that is <laughs> OU, what it can benefit you in the best parts of the University of Oklahoma, and then he's going to let you go to other businesses or if you want to say schools, despite the fact that these schools are acting like businesses and just handing out cash. And then he's going to let them go there because they know their product is the best product that they're going to get. And then it's he that, won't accept it's your t- commitment until after though. He That's won't take it until thing. after you visited. And then after that, you've noticed all these players that they've gotten so far Visited OU in very early June. Many of them have taken a lot of their visits or all of their visits since then. And then after that, in July, here we are a month later after those visits have taken place because many people took their visits in June so far, committed to OU. That is how they're approaching this. And and Stephen, does that feel right? I mean, I know there are going to be guys that they're going to take to National Signing A2. Um, what, what major battles do you think OU has to win recruiting-wise this year to say it's successful? Well, one in particular would be David Hicks, who's going to be visiting at the end of the month. Um Right now, Oklahoma's probably third in his recruitment uh, behind Oregon and Texas A&M. So uh, five-star defensive lineman, it would be a guy that would make a statement across the country that Brent Venables is here to uh, to continue Oklahoma's reign as one of the recruiting powers in the country. Um, outside of that, I mean, you could say Anthony Hill, but he's he's already narrowed down his, so it would have to be David Hicks. Man, and I even forgot to mention LeBlanc, who a Florida insider just – viewed as an OU lean just the other day. Yeah. He even mentioned it on 247. So again, that's another four-star defensive lineman that Oklahoma is in on very seriously. So recruiting, again, when Cale Gundy and everybody else are keep on tweeting out the GIF or GIF, whatever you want to say, of the dominoes, <laughs> they're being very serious. July is a very is going to be a very good month for sooner recruiting. That's just simply that. the point. Uh, I mean – just go to the Crimson and Cream Machine drafts and you can see a lot of things. <laughs> uh, man, Sam McEwen, uh, he writes for, uh, he, he's a writer in, in Nebraska from the Omaha. Oh, I can't remember the, what the publication is now, but he gives Husker, I'm, and I apologize for that, Sam, but he gives Husker fans hope after the preseason all big 12 conference selections are released and says this isn't last year's Oklahoma team insinuating essentially that Nebraska's can be and should be maybe Oklahoma and Lincoln this coming fall uh, with the idea that Turk is the only one on the list 
and leaving out that Dylan Gabriel is a newcomer of the year. Um, he's right. There's not that many people on that list, but at the same time, the conference voted. They voted Baylor number one with 17 first place votes. Oklahoma number two with 12 first place votes. Number three, Oklahoma state nine first place votes. And then Texas with two first place votes. And then for some reason, Iowa state was rated as the sixth best in the conference, but got a one first place vote. <laughs> and I want to know who the hell is casting that vote. Cause I don't think, I don't think Matt Campbell's casting that vote or obviously Matt Campbell wouldn't be the one casting that vote. Yeah, so, so I'm just like, who, who is, who is doing that? And is it just a throwaway vote, you know, just to have fun. But what I'm saying is a preseason polls don't matter, but B do I'm going to come to you first, Jack. Do you think that with this current iteration of, I almost said, okay, see, with this current iteration of the Sooners offensively and defensively, it's totally different systems. It's going to look like a totally different product on the field. Um, do you think that Sam McEwen has some clout to his argument that this team is definitely certainly beatable in Lincoln, Nebraska? Or do you feel like he's pandering to the fan base a little bit too much to give them a little bit more hope? So, I was talking about this on a previous podcast, but I think the Nebraska game in Lincoln is going to be a tough one no matter what. I think his reasoning for it is stupid. I mean, these, you know, preseason, uh, you know, all Big 12, all conference teams, they're almost solely based on past production. So, you know, potential is not factored in. Talent across the roster is not really factored in. It's mostly based on past production and who was on this team at the end of last year, yada, yada, yada. So that's not really a good way. It's not a really a good barometer for whether or not this team is going to be good next year. So I, I think, you know, you know, Nebraska, that fan base is going to be amped up, even though it's a big noon. It's, yeah. you know, they're putting it in the morning, but uh, it's going to be an incredible environment. Nebraska was really close a lot last year. I mean, mm -hmm. you, heard it said that's the best three and nine team of all time. I think there's a legitimate argument for that, but uh, I, I, and I, I do think it's definitely a game that could be dangerous for OU. I just think his reasoning is kind of stupid. Yeah. I, I think that's, I think, and we've talked about it several times in text or just here or whatever, that that game is going to be a, uh, a match that shows who Oklahoma kind of is in or what the product you're getting so far. It's a good measuring stick. Uh, Jack, uh, not Jack, Steven, same, same question. What do you think about him coming out and saying this? Well, I don't give any credit to preseason polls, even if there's it's stacked with OU players. I just really don't care about preseason polls at this point. So the I'm kind of with Jack. It's just a little bit flawed approach um, to kind of describing the game. I think, Oklahoma is obviously going to be beatable this season um, with so much turnover, um, both in the coaching staff and personnel. Um, but at the same time, you look at Nebraska's recruiting and they just haven't recruited well lately. They just don't have yep. the guns that that Oklahoma does. So um, you can talk about all the turnover and the new faces and all that. But at the end of the day, um, their new faces are going to be more talented than Nebraska's, you know, juniors and seniors. And, and I think Oklahoma's, renowned and new 
physicality on both sides of the ball will play dividends for them, especially on the offensive side. On the defensive side, I'm more of a see, wait-and-see approach there. Uh, of course, Oklahoma could have several several uh, iterations of what they want to do on that defensive line if they just wanted to put the Juco guys in the middle and then have uh, Jalen Redmond and whoever else on the edge. I'd be more than happy with that sometimes. That sounds like a lot of fun. Sounds like a Brent Venables defensive line. Um, let's do trivia time. It is trivia time, and and I can already see Steven shaking his head. He caught some crap uh, just the other day, and people apparently were screaming the answers. Uh, but but from their comments, uh, well, he you know Steven was close. We'll give him credit, you know. Uh, but this is what I'm going to do. I've got seven questions, and. Seven, uh, a couple of these questions actually have multiple answers. But if somebody gets it right, for example, Jack, if you were to answer a question right, obviously I wouldn't ask that same question to Steven. So basically it's make it, you take it, and then the next person gets the uh, question. Of course, if they get it wrong, it bounces back to the other person. Those are the rules. Since Jack was not here last week, I'm going to... Uh, give you the first question and see where you are. All right. You ready? I'm ready. For the Oklahoma Sooners, career-wise, who has the most receptions, pass-catching pass receptions? That's Ryan Royals. That is, that is correct. That is yeah. indeed correct. Yeah, he had the NCAA record for a minute. <laughs> he did. He did. Yeah. All right, Steven, next one's to you. Who has... The most receptions in a single game. Single game? Mm-hmm. It'd probably be Ryan Broyles, right? Broyles is certainly one of them. It is a four-way tie. Jack, can you name one of the other three? <sighs> mm, I'm going to go out of the box and maybe say a running back. Um, Or maybe I won't. Um. Man, I'm trying to think. Let's say, let's say Joaquin Iglesias. It's not Joaquin Iglesias. Mm. So, so it was a four-way tie um, with fourteen uh, or, or fifteen, excuse me. Broyles, Saunders, Justin Brown. You talked about him last week oh, or yeah. a couple weeks ago, yeah. um, and Shep Sterling Shepard. All right. Q had a lot of receptions in his career. I didn't, he I did. don't think he got to 15 in one game, though. He probably broke 10 a few times, though. But all right. Question goes back to Jack. Who owns the single game receiving yards record in Oklahoma history? Single game? Yep. That's Marquise Brown against OSU. Can you name the opponent? Oklahoma State. That's a bonus point. Sorry, Steven. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right steven coming to you single game most touchdown receptions does it have to be a receiver it, it, can be, receiver. it, it, it could be whatever you want it to be but single season most touchdown receptions single seven, season yes with 17 uh, would it be Didi in his Heisman year? It is Didi Westbrook for extra point. 
Can you name one of the two beneath him? Ryan Broyles. That's all I'm going to say is Ryan Broyles. <laughs> you had Mark uh, Mark Clayton and Ryan oh, Broyles okay. tied at 15. All right, it is three to three right now. We're doing well. Steven, not Steven Jack. I've done this like twice already. Jack, coming to you. This one was, I thought was interesting because these names kind of threw me off. Single game touchdown reception record. Single game touchdown reception record. It's a three-way tie. Oh, no one of these. No pressure, Jack. Mm. Three-way tie, did you say? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go Mark Clayton for one of them. That is not one of the answers. Really? All right, Steven, goes to you. It's uh Jermaine Gresham. Jermaine Gresham, yeah. and can you name one of the other two for an extra point? Shep, surely. It is not. The other two were Trent Smith throwing it back, tight end. Two tight ends on this list. And Kenny Stills. Oh. What number was the record? Was it four? It was four. Okay. Figured. All right. Um, does this question go to Steven or Jack? I can't remember. I'm a bad I'm a bad show, uh, bad, bad game host. I think it goes to Steven because I guessed first on the last one. <laughs> that's right. That's right. All right. Steven, you're back on the clock. Who owns the record for Oklahoma in total offense in one singular season? Total offense. Total offense. Oh, that's a tough one. There are no hints given on this one. Not at all. Can I say Ryan Broyles again? You can. It would be wrong, but you can. So uh, Jack goes to you. Well, I will ask a question. This isn't a hint, but does this is, you know, clarifying the question. Total offense, does this include passing yards? It's total offense. So oh, my gosh. It. Oh, come on. That's all I'm going to say. It's total offense. All right, I'm going to give two guesses then. If you're gonna <laughs> no, you can't do that. Total, total offense. I'll take your first guess. You should just use my guess as, as a clarification. You guys are killing me. It's Landry Jones. How about that? If it includes passing, it's Landry Jones. It's Kyler Murray. Okay. Yeah. Rushing yards. Yeah. Rushing yards. Yeah. Landry's got the passing yards record. Landry certainly has the passing oh, yards over everybody. You know if Kyler made up for that with rushing. That's a t that was a I thought that was a yeah. I thought that was an easier one than the one you <laughs> than the one with the tight ends. I was very surprised. Okay. And this one goes to Jack. Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. Who's responsible for the most touchdowns over their career? Who's responsible for the most touchdowns in their career in Oklahoma history? Um, is this uh, like this, uh, like total touchdowns? Period. Total touchdowns contributed to the team. Who has the most? Mm. I'll go with Landry Jones on that one. No, Steven. Um, Baker? 
It is Baker Mayfield. Maybe. Yeah. Wow. I was stormboarding him and uh, Kyler. Well, Stephen Brown, so. Brown coming in clutch today on the trivia. Look at you go. I, listen, I took the uh, the Discord bashing seriously. I uh, studied up a little bit, so we're back Dang. on top. Yeah, look at you I go. I couldn't go man. over two on, on trivia. You're basically flying right now in the clouds <laughs> on top of a tiger with lightning stripes. It did help that these were like more modern football questions. <laughs> a little bit, that. right? A little bit more modern. Um but some of them, man, the one with Trent Smith, that would that would have been impossible have for me. Yeah. Impossible for me forever. Can't wait to get to the defensive stats. That's going to be wild. Oh, my gosh. I've already looked at some of those guys. All right. Realignment. It never stops. You think it's over. You had 24 hours goes by. All of a sudden, your feed on Twitter, Facebook, uh, wherever you're getting your information, Reddit, all over ESPN, all over the news, teams are changing everywhere. Uh, you've got the Big 12 making moves. You have the SEC making moves. Let's start with the Big 12. CBS Sports quoted as, oh, the Big 12 is in deep discussions not to add just four, but six teams to the current uh, to the next iteration of the Big 12. That includes... Oregon, Washington, of course, why not if you can't get those guys? And it makes them so so much of a better basketball conference. They might be the best basketball conference if they legitimately pull this off. Uh, and they're old friend. going to be there anyway, frankly. I true. Mean, even without this move. But yeah, they're top to bottom still. I mean. Yeah, it, pretty, pretty wild. You have old friend coming back. Colorado. That could be fun. <laughs> Uh, you have Utah to also carry in with BYU, and so you get to keep some natural rivalries there, along with Arizona and Arizona State. So you keep that rivalry between uh, Wisconsin with with Washington and Oregon. You keep that rivalry between BYU and Utah. You get Arizona State and Arizona, as well as you're already adding UCF, uh, Cincinnati, Houston. You have. Like is is that is that a conference that you guys would watch? Oh yeah, absolutely. I watch the shit out of that. I would absolutely watch it. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. I mean, I mean, that would outside of the SEC, that would be the most fun conference to watch for football, and it would be absolutely the most fun conference to watch for basketball. Yeah, Stephen, what about you? Yeah, if they can pull that off, that's that's a big deal for the Big Twelve. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure about Oregon and Washington just yet. The other schools seem like they're probably going to be on board, but Oregon and Washington, I'm kind of watching. But if they can put that together and you're talking about, you know, super conferences, the Big 12 finally, you know, is probably in that conversation. It's so interesting. Once you kick out Bob Bowlesby, things start going better. <laughs> Who would have known, you know, you to ask me like five years ago, I would have told him. That's oh, it's it's horrifying. But if they pull it off, oh my goodness, how many teams are then in the Big Twelve? What what they have sixteen teams? Then they would have sixteen. Uh, and be you know, at that point, if you get all six, yeah, because they're gonna have yeah. twelve after these new additions. Yeah, that's 18. right. And then they would might have to do pods or something. Ooh, that yeah. someone these super brought up a good idea on that. Um, I think it was uh, Bill Connolly. Maybe mm-hmm. it would be three pods of six you would play everyone yep. in your pod the five That's another one that rotates and then you would play a two of each from the other pod and you'd have nine conferences. yeah i like that that, that would work really well i think 
Yeah, I like that a lot. I would love that for the Big 12. I have no the idea. 18-team conference, which I think we're going to have some 18-team conferences in the future. That's mm-hmm. probably the best bet right there. Yeah, and honestly, it works geographically if you wanted to divide them in groups of six. Yeah. If you just like look at it, it works East geographically. Central, I think absolutely. Yeah, it's probably what you have to do. And then another tweet comes out today talking about how North Carolina, Florida State, Clemson and Virginia are negotiating to join the SEC. ESPN trying to avoid their TV deal with the ACC. If that happens, and I'm coming to you, Stephen. If that happens, you watch the Pac-12 and you watch the ACC get killed overnight. If you're looking at all of this, especially from the SEC perspective, adding even more teams, more specifically just Clemson. North Carolina's pretty good. Florida State, if they could just get their crap together, they have assets. They could just get their crap together. could be very, very good. Virginia's going to be Virginia. But if that, that could all culminate in the SEC too, what does that mean for that conference, especially after OU and Texas join? Yeah, I think you already alluded to it. Um it makes the pods a lot easier for the sec to figure out because you geographically mm-hmm. it's all matched up. So, um, but as far as conference power, I mean, adding Florida state and Clemson onto the sec, uh, that's just a stacked conference. Um, but with, uh, with, with, uh, programs like North Carolina mid major, um, and, and football. So we'll see where they go, but they're kind of exciting right now. We'll see if they can sustain it. Virginia, you know, they are what they are. So it'd be cool. I mean, you'd have a, a pretty pretty competitive league there. And so, Jack, in all this alignment with the Big Ten, with the SEC, with the Big 12, with the ACC and Pac-12 wanting a life raft right now, it feels like, um, and maybe even conferences like the American, what does this mean for the future of the sport? I alluded to it maybe a couple podcasts ago about how in on ESPN in the news, there were mentions of like soccer teams, big soccer teams in Europe wanting to have super leagues. And this is exactly what that would look like. Is this good for the sport? Is it bad for the sport? What do we think about it overall? And who are the winners and losers? I think the American conference is a huge winner here, by the way. Yeah. I don't think it's necessarily good or bad for the sport. As far as that's concerned, I think it's just going to be a very big, uh, cultural adjustment I think because we're so accustomed to the regionalization of the sport and you know they were talking you know there's a report of the ACC and the PAC uh, having negotiations about you know sharing a TV network together I mean think back you know 15 20 years ago and think of how silly that sounds and how nonsensical that sounds but in today's landscape, you understand why they're trying to reach for that at this point. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I don't think any of this is necessarily bad or necessarily good. I just think it's um, it's going to be an adjustment for many, many years, I think. Um, but, you know, going back to what uh, you were talking about with adding those four schools to the SEC, you know, people would be really excited from a football perspective about adding Florida State and Clemson. I think the biggest highlight there, honestly, because the SEC doesn't really need any more good, powerful football programs necessarily. I think what the biggest thing there would be them adding the uh, North Carolina and Virginia media markets. 
I know that's not what most people think of off the top of their head, but Charlotte is a booming metropolis. The state of North Carolina is, you know, experiencing a population boom right now. Raleigh-Durham is, you know, a happening media market that's growing rapidly as well. And then Virginia is one of the more populated, you know, states in the country. And you add all of that. You add the, uh, you know, the Richmond media market. You get the, uh, you know, the Hampton Roads, uh, Norfolk regional uh, market and all that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. So, I mean, you're adding a lot of eyeballs by adding North Carolina and Virginia. And I think that's really what the SEC is after at this point. So, you know, if they can find a way... You know, if ESPN wants it to be so, if they want the grant of rights for the ACC to go away and they can reach a deal with some of those schools to make that happen, then the SEC, I think their first targets would be North Carolina and Virginia or Virginia Tech, either Virginia or Virginia Tech on that Virginia side. Virginia Tech would be cool. Virginia yeah. Tech would be really cool. Man. I think North Carolina and Virginia Tech would be the uh, – the ideal fit, but I, I think, you know, Virginia would be a pretty viable option as well. That's plenty of eyeballs as well. I would love to go to a game in Blacksburg at Virginia Tech and have yes. enter Sandman play. Yeah. And I was so disappointed when just one tape had started off really hot and then things haven't necessarily gone his way yes. at Virginia Tech as of late which kind of sucks, but, you know, things kind of move on. I don't even remember. Did he get let go last year? I, th I think he might have. I think Virginia I think Tech he did. Coach. Yeah, yeah. I think they moved on from Fuente. Yeah. Um, and he, you know, he was, of course, if you're a fan of OU football, especially in the 90s. Union. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hey, news that is unrelated but related. Baker Mayfield going to the Carolina Panthers. Steven. What was your thought when that happened? Uh, I'm, I'm happy for Bake. You, you need to get out of Cleveland. Cleveland, uh, you know, for how much people want them to be good, it's just a shit show in the front office. Um, other than that, I mean, Baker kind of got the short straw on the deal, but he's out of there. He's in uh, Carolina uh, with Matt Rule. Um, I don't know if I really love the fit for him, but, you know, any situation is going to be better than Cleveland. Jack, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, it's probably not, he's probably not going to be the long-term guy there. You wouldn't think, uh, I mean, I think, you know, I think they really like Matt Corral, but, and mm -hmm. I, I think Matt Corral's pretty good, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know that necessarily Baker is the long-term plan there, but I'm oh, just. Oh, I forgot I, they took Matt Corral. Yeah, I forgot. But I, I am, I'm really happy for Baker to have a home and a chance to kind of prove himself. I mean, you know, he, had a rough second half of the year last year, but I mean, there was the shoulder issue there. I mean, no, and no one talks about it outside. I have of this so, day. I have so many so damn it's, issues it's, with that. It's, it's crazy. It's it just, it felt kind of lazy on, you know, the part of the people who were critiquing him this past year. And uh, I love, 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 love that they get the Browns week one. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I just fantastic. I wish it was in Cleveland. Oh yes. It'd be in Charlotte, but, uh, you know, still a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I just, I, yeah. Like, like you just said, I just have so many issues with how that was handled, especially when people don't want to talk about that. He had a torn labrum like this, guy, like this guy, that's a torn, torn labrum. He's wearing, he's wearing in like an actual brace on his shoulders. That's affecting his throwing motions. And he's playing for you to try to make the playoffs after he already made you a relevant franchise worth talking about on ESPN. And then 
and people want to act like he's being bad on purpose when he's putting pretty much a lot of his throws. He's trying to step into his throws. They're not going very well. Obviously, he's going to go off back. He's going off back foot. Um, and did, of course, did he make questionable decisions this year? Yes. Did he have the arm that was healthy enough to make decisions he probably wanted to? Not really. And at the end of the day, it's the coaches that are making players start. So if the coaches want a case Keenum to start and to save Baker Mayfield's arm, that's one thing. But of course, I think Baker wanted a bigger payday um, in a contract year or contract extension year. And I think that's maybe why he paid played through it. So there's those things too, but I'm happy for him just to get out of that situation and all the weird toxic Brown fans that are like, bro, you're, Poverty franchise has been impoverished for so long because of decisions in the way you treat players like this. This is why your franchise is so poverty and you are just like one bad season after several, right? One bad season after several and you're like, oh, he's got to go. It's like, how about you pump the brakes? You just experienced what it was like to play playoff football for the first time in how many years? Like, and, and Baker was the one that put them, gave him like notoriety again. Yeah, he put him uh, on the map with, with hard knocks, and it was who's cool. The, uh, who's the GM? I can't remember his name. Oh yeah, I know you're talking about. Yeah, at the, at the beginning it was Dorsey. That's yeah, who Dorsey. It was. Yeah, it made him yeah. very personable, and then it just fell apart from there. Yeah. It's just, it's incredible how they treated him and how they just don't want to acknowledge it. And then don't want to acknowledge that they have the alleged sexual predator just sit, what, not going to be able to play this season, most likely. There's just so many things I have issues with. Um, and Venables has issues with as well. The all-conference lists come out. They're tweeted out by the Big 12. Brent Venables, quote, retweets that with team 128 you will get what you earn and then of course he just he has you know the hashtags that are catchy dirty hard work in the dark in all caps venables responding to the all conference list i thought was very very interesting uh because that does not seem like a coach thing that any coach would have done in recent memory particularly not him i mean i was like whoa that's something actually big um, what does that what does that say, Jack? Go ahead. Oh, I mean, I, I think it's you know telling people you know how hard this team this team has a chip on its shoulder is kind of the uh, the uh, you know the bottom line there. I mean, this team has come in as the preseason favorite to win the Big Twelve for the past you know seven years or whatever it is, and uh, this is going to be you know you've always said that you know an OU team with a chip on its shoulder is pretty dangerous. Whenever. OU is kind of doubted. They tend to prove people wrong. I mean, you think of the 2013 season, you saw mm-hmm. a bit of that. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, one example, I guess. The 2015 season as well, they didn't come in with a ton of hype. But, uh, you know, whenever that's the case, you know, during my uh, during my lifetime, or at least, you know, in the 21st century, that's tended to be a decent omen for OU. So, I mean, I think there's a good chance that this turns out pretty well, honestly. I mean, this isn't a team that's going to win a national championship or even really contend for one, but I think it's absolutely a team that can surprise some people and win the Big 12 Conference for sure. Yeah, Steven said last week, um, one of his bold takes was, oh, he beats Texas twice twice this coming year, uh, regular season and, and conference championship. Uh, Steven, same question. Brent Venable's responding to the Big 12? <laughs> I, I, of course... 
I think it's for show. I also think it's a, it's him sticking up for his players and also letting people know, like, hey, you have no idea what is probably coming at you this coming fall because this is not the same Oklahoma that you've been used to for the past maybe six years. What's your what is your opinion on this? Yeah, it was a very interesting tweet. Um, I didn't really expect Brent to do that, but at the same time, he's a guy that had to come in early and, and kind of win over the program, right? So mm-hmm. um, he's he's been there for what seven months now, mm-hmm. eight months. Um, he's a guy that's going to stick up for his guys. He's still trying to win over that locker room, um, and that him just having his or him having their back um, is probably just a little bit more extra motivation and also. At the end of the day, your your team takes on the personality of your head coach. So if your head coach is going to walk in with a chip on his shoulder, everyone else is going to walk in with a chip on their shoulder. So uh, it was a little weird at first, but I kind of understand it. Man, if all those players, especially the players that bought in, and you know the players that are going to buy in. Oh, like Redmond? Uh, oh my Redmond God. buys in? Oh, my God. It's incredible what this team, especially right now, is doing. Um, and like you said, I think a lot of people will see that in Oklahoma's discipline uh, in Oklahoma and how they approach the game this year is going to be a lot different, especially on defense with that in mind. You know, everybody is a reflection of the leader from the top down, and I think you're going to see that this fall. Something I didn't mention and that I should have mentioned on the podcast, I didn't have it on the dock, Oklahoma announces – Who's going to, what players are attending Big 12 Media Days? And it is some obvious ones. Of course, this is the first quarterback that's been there since Baker Mayfield's last season, which I thought was very intriguing. You have Dylan Gabriel, who has taken the locker room by storm as a leader. Marvin Mims, that's expected, very well spoken, articulate, and very, very, very long tenured, feels like now, member of the team. Woody Washington, your playmaker in, in the secondary. And then, Interesting. Ethan Downs. He was the interesting pick that people usually go with. Jack, you look like you have thoughts on this. Go ahead. So Ethan Downs, you got to remember media day. It's not just media day. It's PR day, essentially. And Ethan Downs, he's not just a good interview. It's a great spokesman. It's a great interview and someone who seems to very quickly embody the message that Brent Venables is trying to send and the identity that he's trying to mold for the program. So I can think of no one better in that regard than Ethan Downs. If you haven't heard him or if you haven't seen him in front of a mic, this is your chance. Buckle up. It's a lot of fun. I just wanted Danny Stutzman. Is that too much to ask? He would have been so much fun. With a haircut? I wouldn't even, like, I wouldn't have even wanted to ask him real football questions. I just want, I just would want to ask him about questions on life and why he is the way he is. An interesting cat. I love the shit posting on Twitter. Oh, it's, it's, it's the greatest. I, I'd love to see that in a big 12 media day setting. It'd be a lot of fun. He is living his best <laughs> life as a college student, as a high caliber athlete and is embracing Top Gun Maverick as goose. And I just love everything about that persona so much and if he does not have several nil deals just because of the way he is like come on come on get get this man some more cash <laughs> steven what, what's your take on it uh, with you got and of course D- gabriel mims the guy that's going to be his go-to guy right this fall woody washington very expected and ethan downs i think ethan downs is a guy that's taken very well to brent venables and is always asking questions uh to miguel chavis 
and has a great relationships with his coaches as being a vocal leader on the field. Um, what do you think about it? Yeah, the uh, the first three, Dylan Gabriel, Marvin Mims, and Woody Washington, were pretty expected at this point. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, with Dylan Gabriel, uh, just a pretty chill guy. Um, always knows what to say. Marvin Mims is always a great interview, uh, as is Woody Washington. Ethan Downs, uh, it just kind of took me off guard. He's, he's a younger guy, um, does like to talk. I think he just got engaged, I'm pretty sure. He did. Yeah, yeah just so, yesterday. Uh, pretty mature for his age, so I guess that would make sense. Um on the other side, he's a very high energy guy in the field. So if you can get him to or mold him into that leadership role, a lot of guys will follow him on the field. He does have a very high motor um, and he is looking a lot bigger than he was when the when the bowl game against whoever was played. I don't even remember who uh, Oregon. Uh, he looks a lot bigger big from when they played Oregon. Wow. Um Last thing, one bold prediction. We're going to do a, a couple more of these bold predictions uh, until August starts. Um, does anybody want to volunteer to go first? Um, Sounds like Steven wants to go first. I don't want to, but I'll do it. I, I've, I got, I've, got mine, I've got mine ready. I've got mine too, I think. Then we'll go Jack. Steven, you seemed indecisive. I'm still thinking of one. Okay. Jack, you go. My bold prediction, I think Jaleel Farouk leads the Sooners in receiving yards this year. Oh, my gosh. I think because Marvin Mims is going to re- I mean, command a yeah. lot of attention, it's going to be hard for him to get open over the top. He's going to lead the team in receptions for uh-huh. sure. I think. He's going to find some uh, some gaps in the zone. But uh, – I think I think Farouk leads the team in receiving yards this year for that reason. I think he's going to bring. I like I like that. A very bold, very bulky, uh, and a guy that can beat you downfield and downfield and really compete for the ball. I like that. That's that's fun. We should we we should we should start doing bets too, and like having people shame each other and stuff like that at the end of the season if if our bets don't come to fruition. That would be fun. Um. Steven, do you got one or do you many go? I think I got one. All right. What is it? But I'm not sure if it's bold enough. So you'll have to tell me. We'll see. We'll see if it's uh, on a scale of one to 10, how bold it is. I'll go. uh, Marcus Stripling leads the team in sacks. I like that. That's about a five. Yeah. It's kind of conservative, but. I I agree with it, actually. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, he. the way I was, was going to say Reggie Grimes, but I kind of expect him to mm, do it anyway. So the way Stripling's body is composed, uh, the way his body style is there makes gives me oboe flashbacks as far as just how he's built. He's very um, round. I don't know, of course, about the talent or like <laughs> or like because like I really don't know about like what Jerry Schmidt has been able to do since he arrived at Oklahoma, you can definitely tell they're a lot bigger. They're a lot faster. They're a lot more agile, and they are going to be a lot more disciplined, especially with the ball with Brent Venables. there looking at the linebackers. And I know that, uh, Oboe, I know that Stripling's going to be in that room with Miguel Chavis, but I think he's still a guy that Brent Venables is going to have his eye on. Right. Uh, Chavis was taken from Clemson as an assistant because Venables wanted him badly. And so I, I don't think that's too hot, but I'm really curious to see his boomer bust 
he feels very much boomer bust. Am I going too much on that one? No, I think you're spot on. He's a guy that's that's always been very athletically talented. Mm-hmm. Um, it just takes a special kind of coach to push him to get to where he can be. I feel that. Mine is Dylan Gabriel, his first season at Oklahoma, despite what people will say, despite what the stat nerds will say, is going to statistically have a better season in his first season at Oklahoma than Baker Mayfield did in his first season at Oklahoma. I could see that a little bit. I think the amount of passing yards that they're about to put up just strictly by that is going to pay a lot of dividends. Dividends, I think his willingness to run is also going to play a lot of dividends. I think this offensive line is going to gel a lot quicker, and I think there's going to be a lot less people in the box in those passing downs. So if he does have to scramble, there aren't that many people chasing him. And with a broken collarbone before, I think the man has learned how to slide by now. And so that's why I say I think he's got a chance to really statistically put up some big numbers. And talking to the guys at the Orlando Sentinel and Sports Illustrated uh, from UCF Knights, they expect it. And so I thought that was really interesting. Uh, That's all I've got. We were at an hour exactly. Do you guys have anything else left to say? I'm good. I'm good as well. All right. Well, hey, guys. What we want to do before we hop off is, A, first of all, Homeland, Home Field Apparel is dropping this Saturday, and you're going to be able to check it out. Oh, my gosh. Their full gallery is so impressive. You should go and 100% check out what they have. A great brand um, also in great shirts. Also, Breaking Tea. You can find it on crimsonandcreammachine.com. Yeah. Also fantastic shirts. Very comfortable as well. Great designs. We're going to get some more designs coming along in the fall. Is football really coming along again? Football season is the best season, especially in Oklahoma, when it's not 101 degrees or it's at 10 o'clock at night still. It's going to be good stuff. And so I recommend you guys go buy all that. There's so much, um, especially at Breaking Tea at crimsonandcreammachine.com. Um, you, follow, you follow us on CrimsonandCreamMachine.com. Stuff dropping all the time, especially with commits coming really soon, a lot sooner rather than later. Go follow us on Twitter at CC Machine. Follow Jack at J. Larry Shields. Follow me at Kamarabi and CCM. Follow Stephen at OUPDASB. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you guys for listening. We appreciate you all. Have a great night. <laughs>